We're going to do something that I don't do very often, and that's try to use PowerPoint. <laughs> Reason being is I've got about 11 different places in Scripture that I want to go. And if I uh, wait for everybody to turn there, we'll be spending a long time. And I'm not going to get my mouse going here. And we're all focused. Oh, they did change. All right, let's open in prayer, and we're going to be talking today about why the resurrection is important. So, Lord, we just ask you to be with us today. We want to look at this and look at the resurrection and the importance of it, the proof of it, and how we know that you resurrected. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if the resurrection didn't happen, there's a few things that we want to be able that we want to look at. If it didn't happen, there'd be no hope in resur- of our resurrection or forgiveness of sin. Jesus would have been a liar because <laughs> he said he was going to resurrect. And we're going to look at a lot of those statements where Jesus said that. If he didn't resurrect, then God is not omnipotent or all-powerful. That meant that death had victory over his son. And our faith would be in vain. We'd have nothing to really believe in. So this is... And to this day celebrates the most important event in all of Christian time. Jesus died on the cross, we talked about last week, for our sins, and death could not hold him. He was resurrected. That's exciting. It's said that you know, Christianity is the only religion that cel- celebrates the death of its founder, but we really celebrate the resurrection of our founder. And so this is an important thing for us because... Jesus is alive. He, is, he did not stay in, stay in the tomb. So we're going to look at how do we know Jesus rose from the dead. This is the most controversial thing that anything you want to talk to people about. They'll go, well, how do you know? How do you know? And the Bible gives us such clear evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And you know what? The enemies of Jesus provided that e- most of that evidence. That's amazing. They tried to make sure that they showed that he wasn't going to do it, and they basically would manage to prove that he resurrected. We're going to go to Matthew. If you want to try to follow me, go ahead. I've got it marked in my Bible, so it's not taking me long to get there, and it's on the, on the, on the screen. Matthew 12, starting at verse 38. But he answered and said unto them, And even an adulterous generation seeks after a sign... And there shall no sign be given, but that the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the, in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is one of the predictions that Jesus made of, I'm going to die and be gone for three days. Um, Matthew 16, verse 21 From that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples both how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. One of the things that always amazes me is that the disciples seem to think this, uh, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus was a surprise. They never understood, they never heard what he was saying. How many times do we do the same thing, though? We can't get too critical of the disciples. We do the same thing. Uh, how many times do we have to be told something before we actually hear it sometimes? Uh, when I was a manager, I swear my employees didn't listen at all. 
Uh, you, know, you had to tell them four or five times what, what to do. You know, children are the same way, and we're, and we're the same way. God tells us overall, he told the disciples so many times, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to resurrect. And they were surprised at his crucifixion. <laughs> then they were surprised that he resurrected. You know, so we, we, it's kind of hard for us to understand that, but it is true, and we do the same thing. Matthew 20, 17 through 19. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in, in the way and said unto them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, but they, and they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock him and scourge and to crucify him, and on the third day he shall arise. Jesus was not ambiguous on what was going to happen. Uh, he was very, very clear on everything that was happening. Matthew 26, 31 through 32. I'll actually read 30. And, the, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out unto the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the, chief, the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall scatter abroad. But, I, but after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Yeah. And we all know the story. We've talked about the story. Peter saying, I'm not going to leave you. The, all the other disciples after Peter opened his mouth said, no, we're not going to leave you either. And Jesus goes, you will. You will. Isn't it amazing and wonderful that our salvation depends on grace and not works? I am so glad it doesn't depend on works because I would be gone. I've, I fail so many times and so often. It would not be a good thing if it was by works. John 2, 18 through 22. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign shows you unto us, seeing that thou do these things? Jesus answered them and said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty-six years was this temple in the building, and will you rear it up in three days? But he spake of the, spake of the temple of his body. When wherefore he was risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he said, this unto them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus said. So another example, the disciples just didn't know, didn't listen. And we're looking at how the how the uh, his enemies did. Uh, I didn't want to go to that screen yet. But these are just a few places where Jesus has has shared with his disciples and with others. He did not, he was not quiet about the fact that he was going to die. Yeah. This is why it's an amazing thing when the disciples went to the cross. <laughs> and when he went to the cross and he got arrested, it just blew their minds. And we've talked about this. They believed he was the Messiah. They believed he was setting up a kingdom. And they were so focused on, this is the Messiah. He's going to set up a kingdom. That when he said things that didn't fit that thought, all they heard was, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> You know, Charlie Brown's adults, you know, they just heard this really crazy sound. They, didn't, they did not hear him saying, I'm going to die. Because it didn't fit their paradigm. They didn't fit their paradigm. They didn't understand this. And Jesus was telling them over and over that I'm going to die and I'm going to come back in three days. That would have should have excited them. The idea that he's going to die but come back in three days should have excited them. But they, they skipped out on the I'm going to die part so they never really had a anything to hook on, I'm coming back in three days. 
We do the same thing so often. How often have you been told something, taught something, learned something in the Word, and immediately forgotten it? I can tell you I've been there. I've been studying for well over 40 years, and I have forgotten so much over those years. And I go back and I read something, and all of a sudden it comes back to me. It is so easy for us to forget because we are fleshly beings. We don't remember everything. One of the greatest things I'm looking, about, looking forward to in heaven is never forgetting what I learned. You know, never, never forgetting what I learned. So some people will come along and they'll say, well, it's obvious then that, it, that Jesus never died. I don't know if you've ever talked to anybody that gives you that kind of thing. Well, he didn't die. You know, he was on the cross and he fainted and they buried this, buried this guy in a coma. He was unconscious and they buried him. You know, that takes a lot more faith than what I, what I believe that God raised him from the dead. Take somebody who's fainted Put him in a stone room, wrap his body up in linen, roll a very heavy stone in front of the tomb. Sometime in those three days, he wakes up from his faint, gets himself all unwrapped from the linens, <laughs> walks on feet that have been nailed, nailed with two big nails in them, with his bloody, beaten body, rolls the stone away, and somehow eludes the guard outside the tomb. If you want to believe them, you've got a lot more faith than I do. I have it real easy that God said, get up. Healed him and resurrected him all at once. I have a lot more faith to believe that than, than a crazy story. And besides, people in a coma don't usually wake up in a cold, damp place. You know, it's not conducive to keeping them alive. So a lot of people will say, well, he didn't die. But we have a lot of different reasons why we know that he died. And this is where we're at now. We're going to start to get evidence from his enemies. In John 19, starting at verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was a preparation, as for the Passover, that the body should not be remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a, was a high, high day, brought, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and the other, which were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already, and they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came out blood and water. Now, you may not understand what this statement means, but this statement of the, the blood and water poured out of his side indicates that he was dead. <laughs> and he'd been dead, and his... The blood was starting to separate. The fluids were starting to separate. It is an indication when somebody looks at this that knows what it's talking about, he's dead. Now, they didn't think he was dead. They didn't, they didn't mistake him dead. Uh, the, the centurion, the executioners, they, these guys did this for a living. They knew when somebody was dead. Uh, you know, it, knowing that somebody's dead is not something new. Yes, there's been mistakes in the, made in the days, but they knew that he was dead. And I love that God put this statement that blood and water flowed out of his side. Because it is a proof. It's a proof from the soldiers <laughs> that he was dead. And amazingly, we get these, these wonderful proofs in the scripture. Mark 15, there's 44 and 45. Get to Mark 15, 45. And Pilate marveled, and he said marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been, been any while dead, 
And when he knew of it, of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And this starts with Joseph of Arimathea asking for the body. Now, one thing, you know, Pilate's amazed that Jesus is dead. When you were crucified, it usually took, when you were nailed, it usually took three to seven days to die. If you were tied to it, it took two to three weeks to die. So he's amazed Jesus is dead the same day. Of course, Jesus had also been scourged, which most people died when they got scourged. He had to carry the cross. He had no, no, no life left in him hardly when he was crucified. So it's really not amazing that he was dead. But Pilate was so amazed that Jesus was dying that he actually called the centurion and basically you can hear it, get the guard in here now, I want to make sure he's dead. Because he doesn't believe it. So the centurion gets to tell Pilate, yes, he is dead. <laughs> he's dead, he's not, he's, not, he's not still alive, he's dead. Matthew 27 Verses 56, uh, 57 through 66. And when evening was come, there was a rich man of Arimathaeus named Joseph, who said unto the, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Pilate and Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in the clean linen, laid it in his own new tomb, which had been hewn out of rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And when and there was Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulchre. And on the next day, the following day after the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees came together unto the Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that this deceiver said while he was yet alive. Oh, I click this, don't I? This deceiver said while he was yet alive that he would rise from the dead. Command, therefore, that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say that unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Peter said unto them, You have your watch, now go your way and make it as sure as you can. So they went away and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting the watch. I love this section because this is the section that proves Jesus rose from the dead. There's a lot of people who say, well, obviously the disciples stole his body away. Well, that's what, the, that's what the Pharisees and the chief priests wanted people to believe. But they made sure that that couldn't happen. <laughs> so later on, when he resurrected and they started spreading the rumor that, he was, that his disciples stole him, they had already set this up. And the next part that I'm actually going to look at was given to me at Good Friday service. One of the pastors was talking from his police background about chain of evidence. Now, anybody who's watched any detective shows know what a chain of evidence is. It means that it's protected, it's sealed, it's, nobody else is touching it. Well, chain of evidence is not new. It's not a 20th century or 21st century thought. <coughs> chain of evidence has gone on forever because people have always used that as an excuse. I was set up by the police or the soldiers or whoever. So chain of evidence procedures have always been in place, and the Pharisees are practicing them. And this scripture tells us what they did as they, as they did this. And it's quite amazing when you look at this, our chain of evidence. First, we found out he's truly dead. Okay, We had the soldiers witness to that. We had the blood and water witness to that. Okay, 
He didn't. He didn't faint. He didn't. He didn't go into a coma. So you can get rid of the first first excuse right off the bat. He's dead. He is truly dead. The next thing that we look at, they put him in a stone tomb. Now, do you have any idea why a stone tomb would have been really a good proof? There's only one way in and out of that stone tomb. Can you imagine if somebody tried to dig a hole in the back of the tomb <laughs> with the soldiers guarding it out front? <laughs> you know, being quiet enough that the soldiers don't hear somebody digging into the into the tomb in three days. In three days, yeah, without without a without all the tools that we have. The stone tomb indicates that yes, he was there, and it's a new tomb, and. The guy we talked to that gave the message on, he mentioned a new tomb, and he, and he referred to Elisha's body in 2 Kings, where a body was thrown into the, into the, the Moabite raiders were trying to run away. This guy's dead. They didn't want him just laying in the field. They threw him in Joshua, uh, Elisha's tomb, and all of a sudden he came back to life <laughs> as soon as he touched the bones. So God didn't even make a provision for any kind of supernatural thing that they were used to. Uh, so... Next, it was never used. We've, I took that. They sealed the tomb. All right? Now, this is a good way to make sure nobody goes in. They sealed the tomb. They put the big rock in front of it. Some people say that it weighed a ton. I don't know. There's no proof on that. It, but it was a heavy rock. It wasn't a light rock. It rolled down, a, rolled down a ramp. And the guy that did this message together goes, nobody in their right mind is going to seal something, an evidence container, that they don't know that the evidence is therein. I can guarantee you that the Pharisees, before they put their seal on that tomb, looked into the tomb and said, yes, the body's there. Because if they hadn't, then when he's gone, they go, well, gee, we, we didn't look. He wasn't there from the very beginning. No, they go, they're going to say, we know he was there. Who's the other group that's going to look in that tomb? There's a guard. They're going to want to make sure that that body is in the tomb because they're guarding that tomb. And if the body disappears before it, the time, their life is at stake. So I can guarantee you the soldiers <laughs> said, we want to make sure that that body's in there. You're putting us on the guard here. We're not guarding an empty tomb and then having you say that he's disappeared and it's our fault. So you've got people looking into this tomb and then they sealed it. That would involve putting some kind of strapping and wax and imprinting their, their signet rings into the wax so that if anybody breaks it, it couldn't be resealed without, without the evidence of it having been done. The enemy themselves of Jesus set up the proof that he was gone because they could not come back and say he wasn't there. You know, uh, sometimes they'll say that the disciples went to the wrong tomb. Now, and this verse that we just read said Mary and, Mary and the other Mary were outside the tomb as they were burying Jesus so they knew exactly what tomb it was besides the fact that if, if I came up and said so and so has disappeared from their grave you know that they went to the grave to see if he was there now, they would have gone to the right grave they would have gone to the grave that they sealed they would have gone to the grave that they had made sure that the body was in so there was no way that this could have happened so we just covered these. I haven't kept up with my points. <laughs> All right. So we know that Jesus was there. Now I want to look at some of the, the witnesses of the friendly witnesses. 
at any court trial, you'd have pony, uh, you know, unfriendly witnesses and friendly witnesses. Matthew 28, verse 1 through 8. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and there was for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And the fear of him, and for the fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he comes before you into, into Galilee. There you shall see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher for fear and great joy and did run to bring the disciples news. The excitement of resurrection. Because another one of the scriptures say they came there trying to figure out how we're we going to get in to anoint this body. They had been told that he was going to rise again. They didn't really realize it. They didn't, they didn't believe. How often do we sit there and not believe what we're told in the scriptures? The women and the disciples were told that. And then they see the angel. He's no longer here. The angel's testimony, he is, ris he is risen. Given to women. Do you realize what a remarkable thing it is that the testimony of Jesus' resurrection was given to women? In that day, a woman couldn't even testify at a trial as an eyewitness. And who did God show the, the, the resurrection to first? Women. One of the obvious reasons why this book could not have been written by men of that day, because they would never have used, if it was an artificial lying book, it would not have been the, the testimony they would have used. They'd have gone, and the disciples showed up that morning and Jesus was gone. It would not have been women. God has placed women in a very high place in, in, his, in his kingdom. John 20, verse 1 through 10. The first day of the week come, came Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeing the stone taken away from the sepulcher, and she ran, and she told Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which would be John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord from the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple unto the sepulcher. They both ran together. The other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Then came... Simon Peter's following him and went into the sepulcher and seeing the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head not laying with the linen clothes but wrapped together with the place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. Saw and believed. It's amazing to, uh, to me that you know the disciples all had to see Jesus resurrected before they believed. All of them. They were, they were depressed. They'd been following this leader. They were absolutely sure that if they killed Jesus, they were going to be next. This is why they're hiding in the upper room when Jesus returns to Galilee, because they are afraid for their lives. Jesus has been considered by the 
chief priest, an insurrectionist. He's a terrorist in their eyes, only because he's trying to teach them God's word. But they look at him and say, he is trying to destroy things. He is trying to make things hard on us. The disciples were absolutely sure if they would kill Jesus, they would come after him. And so we're looking at this, that Jesus was resurrected. The disciples needed to see this proof. They needed to hear it. First Corinthians 10, 15, 1 through 8. This is Paul's testimony of the, the proofs. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, <coughs> which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which you also are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, how he was buried, and that, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the twelve. After that he was seen by of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, and of all the apostles. And last of all was seen to me also as one born out of due time. Paul is leading up to say, you're following somebody who is alive. And here's my evidence. He goes, he was seen by the apostles. He was seen by 500 people. And then Paul, talking to him at that time, said, most of these people are still alive. In other words, he's saying, if you don't believe me, go to Jerusalem and, and go find the 500 people, and you will find people that will testify that he's alive. Now, if you were in a court case and you had 500 witnesses to the truth of something, you think you'd have a good uh, decision from the court? <laughs> Now, if you didn't get a good decision from the court, there's something really wrong with that court. 500 witnesses that Jesus was alive. It's an amazing place to be. It was not a something that was able to be denied. Paul had seen him on the road to Damascus. Mary had seen him. The two Marys had seen him. Salome had seen him. All the disciples had seen him. 500 people that he talked to saw him. He was alive. There was no question to the fact that he was alive. And this is Paul's evidence of he's alive. Now we're going to look at a little train of logic that Paul has here in, in, first, in uh, first Corinthians 15, starting to verse 11. Therefore, whether it, I, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and ye, you believe. For if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how, some, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then, he, then our preaching is in vain, and our faith is also in vain. Yea, and we are found to be false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then... Is not Christ raised? And if Christ is not raised, our faith is in vain, and ye are in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are, are perished. If in this life we only have hope in Christ, and are of all men most miserable. 
But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. For since by man came, sin, came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. This is Paul's uh, statement on this, and we're not going to read all those verses on there. Those are examples of resurrections. And we think about this, you know, resurrection was not something that did not happen in the Bible. It happened not frequently over, over the 4,000 years, but it happened often enough. The Shulamite's son, the, the widow of Zarephath's son, the body of uh, the Moabites in Elisha, uh, Jairus' daughter, the widow's son, Lazarus, Dorcas, a uh, whole, whole list of Eutychus. <laughs> I don't know if you all know, remember the story of Eutychus. He was sitting in the window as, pa as Paul was preaching. Pre Paul just got a little long-winded and preached way past midnight, and, and poor Eutychus <laughs> fell out the window <laughs> and died. You know, that's, that's, shows you, the, you don't want to fall asleep in a sermon, you might fall down and die. <laughs> now, I don't want to go there, but <laughs> if you're sitting in the second story window, don't fall asleep. <laughs> but resurrections were happening, and yet Paul in this section of scripture is saying, there's some of you that are saying resurrections don't happen. And he's saying, it is very important for us to understand, it has to be there. If resurrection wasn't possible, then Jesus wasn't going to be resurrected. And this is Paul's direction he's going. First, if there was no resurrection, God is powerless. Death was victorious. Satan was victorious over it. It is very important. The resurrection has everything wrapped up in it. Everything we believe about God is wrapped up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power of God was at, was at test here. Now, it really wasn't at test, but if he couldn't bring his son to life, then he was powerless. We know that God is all-powerful. So anything that he wanted to do is going to be there. Paul's next part was that if Jesus didn't resurrect, sin wasn't forgiven. He could, he could not have paid for the sin if it hadn't been for the resurrection. It, was, it would have all been a waste. Every bit of his life, every bit of the punishment, every bit of the sin that he took upon his body would have been wasted if God was, could not have kept him from rising. And if there's no forgiveness of sin, there's no hope. Our hope is in that God is all-powerful and he will do what he said. He says that we have eternal life. This life is in nothing that I do for myself. It is completely a gift of grace from God. We recognize that we're a sinner. We recognize that we deserve punishment. And we ask him to forgive us, and he does. And he gives us a new life. A brand new life that has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with what I do, nothing to do with how I do, do it. He gives me life. And he says it's eternal life. And for those of you who have ever had somebody tell you that you can lose your salvation, they're lying to you. The Bible does not teach that you can lose your salvation because you didn't do anything to deserve it. You don't deserve anything to keep it. It is a gift and God is not gonna take it back. Because when you recognize you're a sinner, now the key is you have to recognize you're a sinner and, and, and know that you're going to deserve punishment and accept that gift. But once you've accepted it, it's yours. And that's why Jesus said it's eternal life. Or the other way they refer it, life everlasting. If it, was, if it could be taken away from you, it'd be life everlasting until it's taken away. That's not what the scriptures tell us. 
So without Jesus' resurrection, his victory, we would be without hope. But because the, re the re resurrection is true, we have life. Jesus was the first fruits of that resurrection. First one resurrected, first one given that eternal life from the grave, and he's ready to give it to us. The power of the resurrection. Jesus being forgiven, uh, taking the sin so that we could be forgiven, excuse me, so that we could be forgiven of our sin. Very powerful. And, you know, this whole thing, we know that Jesus died. The proofs are there. The enemies of Jesus proved that he was dead. They proved that he was in the grave. And conversely, they proved that he resurrected because they made sure that nobody else could get in there. It is so powerful. So the last two questions I have for us today, and then we'll see some more singing. First, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? I hope that the answer is yes for each one of you because it is the only way to heaven. It's the only way to eternal life. He is our personal Lord and Savior. He's not just somebody out there who's Lord, you know, out there saying, I'm Lord, you know. He has got to be our personal Lord and Savior. And the other one is, do you have a relationship with him? I can tell you the most wonderful thing is having a relationship with God. I love being in a relationship with God. I know that he's real. He's my friend. I know that he hears me. I know that he answers my prayers. I accepted him as my Lord and Savior when I was 10 years old, just a few, few moons ago, <laughs> uh, many decades ago even. And he's been there. He's been there in my life for everything that I do. And my question for you is, do you know him? If you don't, you need to. If you do, you need to know him more. I, I love walking with God. 44 years of walking with God and I get to know him more every year, better every year. More about what he wants, more about who he is. And you know, we've said this before, the more we get to know him, he changes us from the inside because he becomes who we are and he works his way out of us. We don't go out there and try to earn and do all these good works. He works through us because he's come into us, he changes us. And it's very true. You know, there's the old adage, birds of a feather flock together. Yeah. And who you hang out with, you become like. It's a guaranteed fact. If you hang out with somebody long enough, you're going to start speaking like them. You're going to use their words. Sometimes you, walk or you go out and you meet somebody and you know exactly what family they're from because of the idioms they use and the, and the way they speak. They may not even look anything like their parents or anything, but you know when you listen to them, they're speaking just like their father or their mother. Uh, you become like who you spend your time with. I'm hoping that we're spending time with God. I hope you're spending time with God because that's what this is all about. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Lord, we just ask that you touch people's hearts right now and that you will lead people. If there's any here that don't know Jesus, I want to really strive to get you to understand, accept him. Very simple, you just tell him, Lord, I am a sinner. I know I've done wrong. I deserve to be punished. I believe that Jesus paid that price. Come in and into me. If you said that prayer, I don't usually do this, but with everybody with your hand, heads bowed, if you've said that prayer and you want to just acknowledge that, just raise your hand and we'll not embarrass you by having you come up front or anything, but just want to know that somebody's done that. Good, thank you. 
Lord, we just ask you that for these that have raised their hand, that you will touch their life, help them to get started in your, in your life and, and learn where to go from here. Lord, we just thank you. And Lord, for you, the rest of us, Lord, help us to get into your word. Help us to see who you are and, and, and lead into your direction. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.